where uh, we do our Bible Institute on Wednesday nights. We have a Bible stu- our Bible Institute. Um, it's, it's actually it's a big online Bible Institute. As of this morning, we have 890 students. Getting new students all the time. <laughs> Heading to that 900 number. Uh, we started it in 2014, and I felt like it would it would grow. I never I, I knew it would do something. We actually started it because we had a group here of about 30 that. We wanted to take through and help get degrees. You can earn associate's degrees and bachelor's degrees with us. It's all free. And um, we put it on the Internet, and then all of a sudden other people started to find it. So that's how that grew. And uh, not that that's, since it's all free, it's not like it doesn't really matter how many, how many people are on it. <laughs> yeah, it's just cool. So um, anytime you want, you can take courses with us and earn and, or take credits toward a degree, or you can just hang out. You can take courses. You don't have to work towards anything, or you can just come here. And uh, But if you come in here and you keep track of what we're doing, uh, there's a way to use these for courses. A single is true with our weekends, all those sermons I make on the courses. That's why we do long series, and you can basically just come on the weekends, answer a couple of questions, write a little paper at the end. You can work towards a degree that way. Uh, so there you go. And associate's degrees, bachelor's degrees. I think you said that. Okay. So we're working through uh, the Old Testament right now. We're doing an Old Testament survey. We broke this into three courses. We finished the first course, and we worked our way through 1 Samuel. And now we're, um, we picked up the action in 2 Samuel a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago. And we're going to spend this entire chunk working through till 2 Kings. I think in, in there somewhere, because we're dealing with David, we'll, we'll do a chunk of the Psalms, too. Uh, and, and maybe a couple of the other poetry books while we're at them. But uh, we're, we're kind of focusing on the kings right now. The monarchy in Israel. Uh, remember, as we started to go through this, that, that God is the king. And he wanted, he is and always has been the king of Israel. And he wanted that to be enough for them. But the people, because of their uh, constant going in the wrong direction, demanded a king. And, and um, so they, they ended up with a monarchy, which was very hard on people. Um, they would have been much better off trusting God. But uh, the kings did everything that God said they would do. They would tax them and take them and put them into slave labor and do all sorts of things. And the kings did every one of those things. Uh, but uh, in the beginning, so you had Saul, and his, he was kind of a mess, as we just have, we have seen King Saul. And he's gone now. And now David is king. David's... Um, really, his, during his time, the kingdom hits its height in Israel. Uh, the Davidic kingdom basically conquered everything that was around them, uh, had great prosperity and wealth. The people were doing very well. David was a, you know, he was a man after God's own heart, but he made a lot of mistakes along the way, as we've seen. And there's been consequences for his sin um, and for sins uh, as there's always consequence for sin, but um, but he has God's favor on him and God's grace, and he does a lot of amazing things. So there's uh, one of the reasons I like the reality of the Bible, how everything is in there is. Um, I know I tell you this, but uh, I think it's good for me to see that there's people that have uh, a great love for God, who God holds in higher esteem because we can see that through the end of the book, uh, even though they're messed up, because that gives me great hope because I'm still pretty messed up. And uh, that God can use messed up people is pretty amazing. But that's what he does, because all of us are messed up. So I, I always uh, take that with that understanding that, that that's part of the deal. And ultimately why Jesus needed to come. 
because uh, we we can't whoops we can't do it without him. I had an itch and I hit my microphone. I apologize. I forget that it's there. I should have I should have itched more scratched more carefully. There we go. So um, David is nearing the end of his life as we pick up First Kings, uh, and. Um, He's, he's had a pretty good run. Like I said, things have gone up, but he's had some bad things too. Remember, Absalom uh, was a mess in one of his sons, and there was a horrible situation there. They don't need to go back into it. And then he rose up and uh, kicked David out for a while. David's come back now. Absalom's been killed. David's sort of there and at peace. But uh, as he's transitioning, the kingdom needs to go to Solomon. He's the next one in the line. But there's going to be some problems that happen there. So let's, we're going to read parts of the first three chapters here. And I'll talk about it as we go. I'm in First Kings chapter 1, and I'll be reading these to you. The scripture references are on your notes. If you want to read along, there's Bibles in all those chairs. You can pick one up, or you can just listen to my, uh, my smooth tones as I read. <laughs> when King David was old and well advanced in years, he could not keep warm even when they put covers over him. So his servant said to him, Let us look for a young virgin to attend the king and take care of him. She can lie beside him so that our lord the king may keep warm. And then they searched throughout Israel for a beautiful girl and found Abishag, a Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The girl was very beautiful. She took care of the king and waited on him, but the king had no intimate relations with her. Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. He's another one of the sons of David, uh, a brother of Absalom. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. Adonijah conferred with Joab, son of Zuriah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they gave him their support. But Zadok, the priest, uh, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, Nathan, the prophet, Shimei, and Rai, and David's special guard did not join Adonijah. Adonijah then sacrificed sheep, cattle, and fattened calves at the stone of Zoheleth near Enrogel. He invited all his brothers, the king's son, and all the men of Judah who were royal officials. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet or Benaiah or the special guard of his brother Solomon. So uh, Adonijah decides he wants to be king, and so he just he gets a hold of Now, he gets a couple of pretty key people. He gets Joab, who's the commander of the armies, because Joab's kind of gotten wayward with David a little bit. Uh, over the course of time, and he gets uh, one of the priests and one of the prophets, and uh, they go with him, and he makes him, he says, okay, I'm the king now, here you go, because he's, he's one of David's sons, and he's probably the next oldest, but uh, he's not the next, he's not the one that David or God wants the kingdom to go to, so, and that, uh, that young woman who kept the king warm, Abishag, uh, she'll pop up in the story again, too, and it's, it's pretty interesting, all right, so, here we go. Uh, we're in verse 11. The, so Nathan, who's the prophet who confronted David, if you remember the last time when David had sinned with Bathsheba, Nathan is the one that confronted him and said, you took somebody's lamp. You remember if you were here, if not. Anyway, they, uh, Nathan and uh, Bathsheba, they come up with a plan to go speak with David. Verse 11. Nathan asked Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king without our Lord David knowing it? Now then, let me advise you how you can save your own life and the life of your son, Solomon. Because that's what would have happened is Adonijah would have come and killed Solomon and Bathsheba. So there was no other claims to the throne. That's pretty much what they did. 
Go into King David and say to him, My lord the king, did you not swear to me your servant? Surely Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne. Why then has Adonijah become king? While you are still there talking to the king, I will come in and confirm what you have said. Verse 32, King David said, Call in Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah son of Jehoiada. When they came before the king, he said to them, Take your Lord's servant with you and set Solomon my son on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. There have Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon. Then you are to go up with him and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, so declare it. As the Lord was with my Lord, the king, so may he be with Solomon to make his throne even greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, uh, the Carathites and the Pelethites went down and put Solomon on King David's mule and escorted, escorted him to Gihon. Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. Then they sounded the trumpet and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him playing flutes and rejoicing greatly so that the ground shook with the sound. Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they were finishing their feasts. And on hearing the sound of the trumpets, Joab asked, What's the meaning of all the noise in the city? Even as he was speaking, Jonathan, son of Abiathar, the priest, arrived. Adonijah said, Come in, a worthy man like you must be bringing good news. Not at all, Jonathan answered. Our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, the Carathites and the Pelethites, and they put him on the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon. From there they have gone up cheering, and the city resounds with it. That's the noise you hear. Moreover, Solomon has taken his seat on the royal throne. Also, the royal officials have come to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, May your uh, God make Solomon's name more famous than yours and his throne greater than yours. And the king bowed in worship on his bed and said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has allowed my eyes to see a successor on my throne today. At this, all Adonijah's guests rose in alarm and dispersed. So, I, so do you, you get the picture, right? So there, there's this big party, and uh, the one who was going to be king ain't, and everybody goes, uh-oh, and they slip out the back. But Adonijah, in fear of Solomon, pretty good plan, went and took hold of the horns of the altar. And then Solomon was told, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon and is clinging to the horns of the altar. And he says, let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Solomon replied, if he shows himself to be a worthy man, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground. But if evil is found in him, he will die. And then King Solomon sent men, and they brought him down from the altar. And Adonijah came and bowed to King Solomon, and Solomon said, go to your home. So um, most likely, if it, tables were turned, Adonijah would have taken Solomon out in a heartbeat. But Solomon gives him some grace. But he's, he's going to try his hand again here in a little bit. All right, let's keep going, because this is fascinating stuff. Chapter 2. Verse 1, when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, show yourself a man, and observe what um, the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways and keep his degrees and commands, his laws and requirements as written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne 
of Israel. So there's that lineage. It's so important, right? Because Jesus is going to come out of that line. Crimson thread of redemption. Now you yourself know what Joab, son of Zariah, did to me. What he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. Remember, he killed them both. Shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle. And with that blood, staying the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. Deal with him according to your wisdom. But do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. But show kindness to the sons of Barzillai of Gilead, and let them be among those who eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember that you have uh, Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjamite, from Bahuruman, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Mahanaim. And when he, remember I tell you when you're reading the Old Testament, just read it like you know what you're saying. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan... I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword, but now do not consider him innocent. You're a man of wisdom. You will know what to do. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. Then David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. He had reigned 40 years over Israel, seven years in Hebron, and 33 years in Jerusalem. So remember, he had been king 40 years. Seven years he had just the tribe of Judah, and then the kingdom was united, and uh, he was king over all Israel. That's not going to last a whole lot longer. Um, Solomon will kind of keep them together, and then it splits, and it stays split from there on. So you know what David was telling Solomon, right? These guys have been not good guys, and I promised I wouldn't deal with them, but you need to. He's telling them to take them out, is what he's telling Those are exactly what he's saying. These guys got to go. Don't keep them around, because they're going to be trouble, and they, they are. Now... Verse 13, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, went to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. Bathsheba asked him, do you come peacefully? And he said, yes, peacefully. Then he added, I have something to say to you. You may say it, she replied. As you know, the kingdom was mine. All Israel looked to me as their king. But things change, and the kingdom has gone to my brother. For it has come to him from the Lord. Now I have one request to make of you. Do not refuse me. You may make it, she said. So he continued, please ask King Solomon. Uh, He will not refuse you to give me Abishag, the Shunammite, as my wife. Very well, Bathsheba replied, I will speak to the king for you. Now, why is that significant? If you remember, when Absalom took over Jerusalem and and David had to flee, and David left his concubines in Jerusalem, and Absalom made a show of taking all of David's concubines, and and basically publicly he he was with them. Um, That was to demonstrate that he was, in fact, now king. That's, That's what would happen. Well, what... Adonijah is trying to do is to get basically David's concubine that he was never intimate. If he could get her and, and have her as his wife, he was basically putting himself back in the place of king again. That's why that's such a big deal. It's a, it, was a, it was a big request. And Bathsheba didn't get it, but Solomon gets it. So when Bathsheba goes to Solomon and asks him, uh, and he basically says, uh, what you're trying to do is give the kingdom back to my older brother. If, if he has her as his wife, that's what everybody's going to think, that he's got the kingdom. So he won't, he won't let that happen. And then um, as it goes on, and, and so most likely Joab was involved in him telling him to do that, and the other guys that were with him. When they find out Solomon is aware of those things, not going to let him happen, they all go running for the horns of the altar because they think they're going to be safe there because it worked for... Um, Adonijah, right? Solomon, okay, you're at the horns of the altar. So Joab runs and grabs to the altar, and uh, he, he won't let go. And so Solomon says to his men, okay, go kill him there. And they did. So Joab is done. And then the other guy that David has said, don't let him uh, have any peace either. Uh, he, he goes and, and he gets his as well. And uh, 
in verse 46, he strikes down Shimei and kills him, and the kingdom was now firmly established in Solomon's hand. So he's dealt with um, those issues, and now uh, the kingdom is solidly Solomon's. But here's chapter 3 is where Solomon starts getting in some trouble. Because uh, one of the first things he does... Remember David said, listen, if you just do what the Lord tells you to do, you're not going to have any trouble. That's all he told him to do. And one of the first things Solomon does in verse 1 is Solomon makes an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and marries his daughter. So the people of Israel weren't supposed to intermarry, um, but this was a political thing. And so Solomon makes this alliance thinking then he's going to have peace with Egypt. But um, uh, Solomon thinks that that's going to work a lot of times. So... Have you ever? That's where I just want to read a little bit of First Kings 11. So we're only in, we just started with this one, but this is going to be a pattern in Solomon's life. And by the time we are going to get some years since, about 20, 25 years from this point in time, uh, let me read you verse two of First Kings 11. Uh, verse one: Solomon loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. And they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their God. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. And here we go. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And his wives led him astray. So just just kind of try and wrap your mind around that for a little bit. So all of those would have been... Alliances he was trying to make politically, but every he was told not to go outside of that, and Solomon didn't listen, and uh, and so it, it ends up getting him in trouble. But but that's coming, all right. But in in, in chapter three, he's still he's made this move with the towards the Egyptians. But uh, something else is going to happen here, and you think maybe he's going to be together uh, because in verse 3 it says Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on high places so he's kind of doing it but not totally doing it and that's kind of the problem we all have uh, that we have to be careful of because we're to be all in not kind of in and so at this point in the history the kingdom's not divided but the king already is and then in, in chapter 3 uh, this is really cool. I like this part. So at Gibeon, the Lord appears to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God says, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered, you've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on the throne to this very day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child. Do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people. You have chosen a great people, too numerous to counter number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to discern, who is able to govern this great people of yours. So we ask God for wisdom. Right? And you've all heard about Solomon's wisdom, right? And he begets it. He gets wisdom from God. Um, now, he doesn't always follow. Just because he has the wisdom doesn't always mean that he does it. And, and scripturally, we're told that, too. Whenever we need we can always ask the Lord for wisdom, and the Bible says he'll give it to us, but we don't always do what he says. All right? So, and God was very pleased with that. He said, you could have asked me for whatever. You could have asked me, you could have asked me for riches or honor or whatever, uh, but you asked me for wisdom. So since you do that, you're going to get riches and honor as well. And um, so he, he has a heart to discern what's going on with people. And then that, the famous story that almost everybody knows about Solomon, the big painting about it and everything, um, is in First Kings 3.16 when the 
the two women come to him with one with an alive baby and a dead baby. You all know that story, right? I'll read it to you. Two prostitutes came to the king, said before him, one of them said, My Lord, this woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I servant was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son to my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had borne. The other woman said, No, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, No, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, This one says, My son is alive and your son is dead. While the other one says, No, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king, and he gave them an order. Cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. (laughs) The woman whose son was alive was filled with compassion for her son and said to the king, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, Neither I nor you shall have have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling, Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. So that was a picture of uh, his wisdom. Like I said, there's famous paintings about that and that whole story. I think most of you heard that story of the wisdom of Solomon. Um, Kings, First Kings 4, we can jump into there. Solomon had great wisdom and insight, um, greater than the wisdom of all the men in the east, the Bible says, all the wisdom of uh, Egypt, greater than any other man. They give a list of people that were there. And men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. We get into chapter 5. Solomon begins to build the temple uh, in chapter 6. There's a verse in chapter 6 uh, that you should all know, First Kings 6.1, because it's pivotal in the chronology so we can date and time things in the Old Testament. In the 480th year after the Israelites had come up out of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, the second month, he began to build the temple of the Lord. Now, why that's so important is um, we know from archaeological findings um, when the Ptolemy, when the temple um, uh, began to be built, and so that's 966 BC, and um, and so because we can point that date in archaeology, archaeological findings, as, as, so we can then date things from that point in time to Scripture. So uh, throughout this study, I've been giving you dates of when things were happening. I'm going backwards from that point in time because that's a fixed point. So we can, we can get very close with a lot of things. Where you start to lose track with it is that in some of the genealogies, it skips. Perhaps it's a grandson to son or great-grandson to son, so you may not get all of the generations just right. But there are a lot of things that we can date because of that particular scripture. Verse Kings 6, In the eleventh year, in the month of um, Bool, the eighth month, the temple was finished in all its details according to its specifications. He spent seven years building it. So um, it takes seven years to build the temple. Remember, David had everything ready for it to go. All the plans were in place. All of the stuff was there. Quite an elaborate thing, but it takes seven years. The temple's completed in 959 B.C. Chapter 7, verse 1 is funny. It took Solomon 13 years, however, to complete the construction of his palace. So (laughs) that tells you about Solomon's palace. But remember, he had to make a palace... 700 wives and 300 concubines. There's a whole lot of rooms in this palace. 
when he built it. So, so it takes forever. It takes 13 years. The temple was amazing, and it was extremely ornate. It took them seven years. It took 13 years to finish Solomon's palace. They finished that in 946 B.C. Then in uh, chapter 8, it's the dedication of the temple. Uh, and uh, it's a huge deal. The, um, they brought the ark into the temple and found its place. The presence of the Lord fell in a mighty way. Um, the ark had the uh, two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, um, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. And uh, the glory of the Lord fell. The ark of the covenant was 487 years old. At that time, it still had the two stone tablets there that Moses had put there. So you know what those tablets are. That's pretty cool, right? So um, with everything that had gone on, they had the tablets 487 years later. And uh, there you go. By this point, we're 24 years into his reign. Solomon has drifted from the Lord. He's pretty much doing what he wants. Um, and again, that has a lot to do with his worshiping all these false gods that have come in because of the all the marriages that he has. And uh, he, in, verse, uh, in chapter 9, the Lord's trying to get his attention. Uh, the Lord says to him, I've heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David, your father, when I said you should never fail to leave a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. And though this temple is now imposing, all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, Why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? And people will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of Egypt and embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. This is why, that is why the Lord brought all this disaster on him. So that's what's hap- it's coming. That's, that whole thing is coming, prophesied, because they won't follow after the Lord. They go in their own direction. First Kings 10, the Queen of Sheba shows up. He's kept that in there because most of you have heard of the Queen of Sheba, right? She comes with all sorts of stuff for Solomon, has lots of questions for him. And he answers all the questions, and uh, she says, the reports I've heard don't even come close to who you are, but uh, the wealth you have far exceeded the report I heard. And First Kings ten fourteen, the weight of gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents. So how much gold is that? It's 83,000 pounds of gold. At today's price, I looked it up. I looked it up yesterday. I didn't do it today. I was preparing yesterday. An ounce of gold yesterday was uh, $1,525.80 per ounce. There's 14.583 troy ounces per pound. Anybody can do the math in their head? Yearly, 1845843225 dollars That's just gold that was coming in yearly. That's a, that's a lot of that's a lot of gold. <laughs> I read you First Kings 11 already. 
about the issues he had with the wives, 700 wives, 300 concubines. Verse 9 of Kings 11, The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give one tribe for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So we've got to keep that lineage going. Um, Verse 29. About that time, Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem, and Ahijah, the prophet of Shiloh, met him on the way wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone in the country, and Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into twelve pieces. And then he said to Jeroboam, Take ten pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. See, I'm going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you ten tribes. But for the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I've chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. I will do this because they have forsaken me and worship Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Jemosh, the god of the Moabites, Molech, the god of the Ammonites, and have not walked in my ways, nor done what is right in my eyes, and not kept my statutes and laws as David, Solomon's father, did. But I will not take the whole kingdom out of Solomon's hand. I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David, my servant, who I chose, and who observed my commands and statutes. I will take the kingdom from his son's hands and give you ten tribes." I will give one tribe to his son, so that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I choose, chose to put my name. However, I will take you, make you ruler over all your heart's desires, so you will be king over Israel. So, that's the plan. Verse 40, Solomon tries to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam fled to Egypt to um, Shishak, the king, and stayed there until Solomon's death. So, the ten tribes of Israel are going to go to Jeroboam. The one tribe that's left is actually a combination of Judah and Benjamin. So um, that's what's left. Solomon, just like Saul tried to do, was to stop God's programs. That's why he's trying to kill Jeroboam, um, but he's not successful. Uh, verse 11, towards the end, Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel 40 years. And then he rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, succeeded him as king. So what you're going to have when we come back next time, Solomon dies in 931 B.C., is you're going to have Rehoboam, whom Solomon's son, he's going to end up as the king over uh, Judah. And Jeroboam is going to be the king over the ten tribes of Israel. And then we get to watch these two things start to happen uh, through the rest of the kings. Um, and, and it's a big mess. And, and reading that part of the scripture, you've got to pay attention because it pops back and forth between the kings. And you can get lost really quick about what's happening. That's why a lot of people stop reading the kings. Because it'll go from one, one king to the other. And if you're not paying attention, you don't know what happened. And especially they start with Jeroboam and Rehoboam. They could have two different names. Something that didn't end in Boam would have been very helpful. <laughs> so... Uh, You have to read carefully. But we'll talk about that next week. I'm done for today because that's a lot of information. If you're watching by video, thanks for watching. And uh, we'll see you next time. Okay. If you have prayer requests, pass them up to me. I will pray for you. And then we'll call it an evening. Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information, 
log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.